This past week, I was reading in Psalm 33, and uh, I just kind of camped out on it for, for a while. Um, you look at the sky, the stars that God made. Let's read that together, shall we? The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in its vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Isn't that cool? It's just another reminder when you read through the Bible, it doesn't show up every once in a while, but it's consistent. The message is consistent that God spoke everything into existence. And when you think about your life personally, God not only spoke about your life, but he handmade you, he knitted you together. His handiwork is on your life. And so uh, I think it's just good to pause and think, you know, there's a lot of pushback on the creation that God has put together. It's being undermined all throughout our culture, but that's why it's important that we stay in the Bible and we're reminded of the fact that God did it all. He's the great creator. Not only did he create out there, but he created me, you, and he has a purpose for your life. And so just a heads up, in, uh, in two weeks, Jay Siegert with um, the Starting Point Project will be speaking. And uh, many of you have been here before. Uh, Jay's been coming for the last several years, and it's always good to hear him communicate, articulate the truth about everything. The Bible, creation, etc. So he's going to be here. Just wanted to give you a, a heads up on that. Invite your friends, and uh, we're looking forward to his time. All right. What else is going on? Daniel Ritchie. I don't think you've met him. I never have. I've read his story. He was born without arms. That would be quite a challenge because he had to use his feet, his toes to dress, to groom himself, to eat, to open doors. And over time, he was able to do that quite well. But he faced a greater challenge with dealing with the attitudes of people all around him. They would stare, they would uh, give insults, they would just be plain out rude to him. In fact, when he and his family would go out for dinner to the restaurants, because he would eat with his feet, it offended the people within the restaurant, and so they got upset and really pressured them as a family to leave because of their comfort level being pushed. And the worst assumption that um, Daniel made was that he, over time, developed a hatred for himself. I mean, it's only, you, you look at the impact of that subtle messaging all around you, you know? You don't have any 
you don't have any arms, man. You don't have any hands. There's something wrong with you. You're, you're not together. And so he started believing the attitudes that were being pushed at him. And so not only did he have this hatred towards himself, but he had this empty feeling that his life was hopeless, man. There was nothing going on. And also, he started hating the people that floated these attitudes towards him. And so he became a very lonely young man because up to this time he was not a follower of Christ and he had very few friends. But it just so happened when he was 15 years old, he had a friend that invited him out to church. And during that church celebration, the pastor talked about God creating all things. God creating life. And in fact, he talked about Psalm 139, 14. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Well, guess what, man? That verse just penetrated Daniel's heart. Suddenly, he began to realize, hey, my life is not a mistake. God made me. God has a purpose for my life. And it was then and there that he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And that same evening, he felt God calling him into full-time ministry. And so today, Daniel travels all around the world telling people about Jesus Christ and how God can make a difference in your life, how God brought hope back to Daniel's life. He says... I use my empty sleeves to point people towards the Jesus. Isn't that cool? Yeah, man. So we celebrate, man, the greatness of God. And, you know, as Andrew was talking, Kyle, what is the cool thing is that God is working in your life. That's what keeps you fired up. When you give God permission not only to place when you place your faith in Christ and you don't want to say that's the end of it. No, you keep an open book and you let God walk through the pages of your life and continue to change you into his very image. And that's what Daniel's been doing. And we celebrate that. So let's go to the book of Mark. And I know we've been uh, we've been here for quite a few Sundays, haven't we? But it's okay. You can rest, you can relax. We're going to read God's word, going to Mark 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 46. And you can follow along in your Bibles. Your outline has those verses included as well. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What happens, man, when you get fired up about Jesus? People are going to tell you to shut up, right? They're going to tell you to be quiet. That's exactly what they said here, verse 48. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. So, so... Bartimaeus is yelling, Jesus, have mercy on me. And then the crowd's yelling back at him to shut up. So there's a little argument going on here. And 
He only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord. Man, your Bible is so cool, powerful, life-changing. You speak to us through it. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to listen to you, to see you work in the lives of individuals. And we see how Bartimaeus, man, jumps out of the pages of your word this morning. May he impact our life as he allowed Jesus to impact him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, man, we're living in a challenging day, challenging world, and that's okay. Because do you think God figured, you know what? This world is out of control. It's hopeless. I think we're going to sign off. My people are on the planet Earth, but uh, man, I don't know if they're going to make it. Listen, God has you right where he has you on purpose and for a purpose. You are to make a difference. You're to bring the light of Christ into your world and be proactive in allowing Jesus to live his life in and through you. What an exciting time. Really, it's an exciting time. Every day, every day we live, we are moving towards a day closer to the coming of the Lord. And I tell you what, man, allowing Jesus to live and the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life, his grace is being poured into you, man, when you need it, and you can walk in victory. You don't have to put your head down. You don't have to live in shame and defeat. Jesus Christ the all-powerful one, man. When we sang that second song this morning, uh, we sang about Jesus. And I, I had a flashback to my younger days when uh, it was the summer. Uh, we were on uh, summer break in college, and I had a couple of my friends from out of state come and visit me. We lived in the Chicago area, and so we decided to go downtown Chicago to kind of give them a quick tour of what the city looked like. Well, it was a rainy night, and um, I got on the ramp to get on the expressway, and long story short, uh, we, we were in an accident. Uh, it wasn't my fault, of course. Um, <laughs> it was the guy in front of me, and, and um, oh, one of my friends in the back seat, our car was spinning, uh, it, hydroplaning on, on the expressway, and he called out, Jesus! And I'll never forget it, because we were okay. Nobody was injured. The dude that caused the accident just drove away. Isn't that how life is? Huh? But I was thinking, man, here we are on an expressway in downtown Chicago. People traveling at high rates of speed, cars zoom, zooming around. My car is going in circles. And the dude calls Jesus in the backseat. There is something, I, I just, there is something about the name of Jesus that you and I can speak in our time of need. Not only in our time of need, but we can speak to him as Jesus, the lover of my soul and the lover of your soul. And um, so that's where Bartimaeus in the midst of really a chaotic environment, people are shouting at him to be quiet. He recognizes that Jesus is walking by 
and he gets fired up. Friends, we, I believe as followers of Christ, we should be fired up that Jesus is walking through the pages and hallways of our personal lives. You know? He was walking by physically Bartimaeus, but every single day he's walking in and through us. And that's how we can keep, man, that fire of God to, to work in us. So when, when your world looks hopeless like it did for Daniel Ritchie for a long time, um, Jesus is here to make a difference in your life. So we see in this, in the context in Mark 10, 46, Jesus and his disciples, and there's a crowd that, that uh, picks up along the way as they're walking through the city. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And when you track uh, Mark 10, you'll realize that when he leaves Jericho, he's heading to Jerusalem. Why? For, for the first Palm Sunday, for the triumphal entry. You know, when everybody around him is shouting, Hosanna to the Messiah. They're all fired up as he rides on that donkey. And I'm sure Jesus knows, you know, yeah, they're, they're shouting my praises today, but in a few days they're going to be saying crucify him. Because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, not for a parade, friends. He was there to put his life down on the line, to be betrayed, to be tortured, to be nailed to a cross, to shed his blood for your sin and my sin. Sounds a little morbid right now, but because he did that, he went into the tomb for three days and he came out three days later, that Easter Sunday, and we can celebrate that sin, death, and the grave cannot hold him. Sin, death, and the grave cannot hold you if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so we can celebrate, man, that great name, Jesus. So that's where Jesus was going, and yet when you look at, he's got that in front of him. And when you read the, in the context, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me. He knows what's ahead of him. So it's not, it's not this, hey, this is going to be cool and fun, man. No, he is going to go through some horrific time, and he's fully aware of it. And then he, he ultimately says, not my will, but your will be done. And that's where he settles it. That's a good place for you and I to land as well. Lord, not my will. You know, I got, I got these plans. I, I like to do this in the future, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let his will be done in your life. And um, God's doing some cool stuff. So number one in your notes, uh, Jesus on the move. And I know we hit this a few weeks ago. Uh, but there's been some cool stuff happening since a couple weeks ago because Jesus is on the move, right? Yeah, he's on the move. So then he reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. And you can see on the map, um, last time we talked about this text, I told you it took four days to get those 18 miles. I was wrong. It's only four hours. So correct your notes uh, from a few weeks ago. Uh, after church today, what you can do, 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem, you can go out the exit on, uh, from Brandywine, ID, get on 18151, go west, go 18 miles, it's the first ramp to Dodgeville. 
do that for a little project after church. And then you kind of get a feel, okay, 18 miles. Jesus walked 18 miles, four hours with his disciples to get to Jerusalem. So we see that God is on the move. This just came out um, about a week ago. Eight encouraging trends in global Christianity for 2024. And it I jumped out at me because Why? When you kind of keep your pulse on what's going on in Christianity in America, you hear of this famous person, this famous person deconstructing their faith or, or drifting away from their faith or being compromised with their faith in different uh, situations. And it can be a little discouraging if that's where you land. But when you look at this article... It says the 2024 Status of Global Christianity Report provides at least eight positive trends that paint a picture of a healthy, growing global church. That should get you fired up, you know? So our view of Christianity is limited. We often only direct, observe, and experience the movement of God's kingdom in our local context, and that's true. And that's why it's good to do, you know, lift up your eyes. Look farther than you can see and get the big picture. We can expand our gaze across time by reading church history and seeing how God moved in previous generations. We can also examine stories and statistics of what is happening around the world in our day. That's what we're doing. Number one, Christianity is growing. This may surprise many, but Christianity is growing around the world and is growing faster than the rate of population. The Christian population is projected to top 3 billion before 2050. Number two, some groups are growing even faster. The number of global Protestants is expected to climb to more than 625 million this year. Number three, Africa and Asia are experiencing rapid growth. And by the way, Mark Montanio is watching from Guinea. And we say hi to Mark. Yeah, because he's in Africa, right? Africa and Asia are experiencing rapid growth. The fastest growing areas for Christianity are in the global south, particularly Asia and Africa. At the turn of the 20th century, Africa was home to less than 10 million Christians, fewer than any other region. By 2000, the Christian population in Africa had exploded to more than 383 million. And it's continuing to explode along the way. Four, Christianity is spreading globally. Not only is the faith growing around the world, but it's also expanding to new places, places where it's never been before. Five, atheism is shrinking. Now, if you, if you read uh, if you, your local news, you'd say, that's not what I thought. Well, it is. While Christian and the other re- religions are growing around the world, the global atheist population is falling. And they tell how. Six, more churches are being planted and missionaries sent out. Over the past 120 years, the number of churches increased tenfold, growing from 400,000 in 1900 to more than 4 million in 2020. The last century also saw an explosion of international missionaries. The number sent out climbed from 62,000 in 1900 to 420,000 in the year 2000. And they continue to project that's going to keep growing. 
Seven, fewer people are without access to the, to the gospel. What's that about? More people have scripture in their language. Isn't that exciting? In 1900, only 227 languages had New Testament translations. That number is projected to reach 2,400 this year. Boom! Huh? Yeah. Number eight, more money is being given to Christian causes. In the United States, giving to Christian causes is expected to top $1.3 trillion in 2024. Projections set the giving in 2050 at $5.2 trillion. So, there you have it. Isn't that cool? Man, global Christianity is growing. God is on the move. He's on the move. And uh, I think about... We can zero that down. Are we allowing Jesus to move in our personal lives? And we've talked about this before, how we, the created ones, have the power to say no to Jesus. I don't want you to, I don't want you to move in this area of my life. I'm content with this so far, Lord. You've done enough. No, we need to continue to say, Jesus, I give you permission to keep moving in my life, right? Yes? Yeah, man. So that's important. Jesus is on the move, and he's on the move in our personal lives. Number two, a desperate man, verse 46b, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When you look at Bartimaeus' life up to this time, he would camp out by the city gate because that's where travelers would go in and out of the city. And the only way to survive was to beg for money, alms for the poor. And so you wonder, how long did Bartimaeus every single day camp out by the side of the road? And you might think, you know what, that doesn't sound too exciting. Well, that's how they survived back in the day. And when you look at Bartimaeus right here through that photograph, have you been sitting on the side of the road? Do you remember a time when you were there? Maybe you were there this morning. Maybe life has just kind of beat you up and you've kind of lost your hope for making a difference in our world. And so you said, you know what? I'm just going to resign myself to the fact, I'm just going to sit on the side of the road. You know, I'm not going to be involved in anything anymore. Well, you know, that's a dangerous place to be. It really is. But today, today in the life of Bartimaeus, something is changing. And Jesus is walking by. And we see in verse 47, it says that he heard, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby. That word heard mean, it means to hear, to take it in, to admit to a mental acceptance. Jesus is walking by. And so because... 
Bartimaeus had been camping out on the side of the road and, and travelers coming and going. Over, over time, he may have heard about Jesus. You know, Jesus was over here. He healed the blind, the lame, so on and so forth. So, so Bartimaeus kind of had that name of Jesus in the back of his mind. Man, if Jesus ever comes this way, I've got to be ready for him. He had heard good things about Jesus. And he looked at his personal life and he realized, you know what? My life is empty. Kind of like Daniel Ritchie. His life was empty without Jesus. His life was hopeless without Jesus. And, and Bartimaeus, sitting on the sidelines of that road, realized that so every single day my life is the same. There's nothing different going on. It will always stay the same if I don't get Jesus to make a difference in my life. And that's why he starts getting fired up. Because he realized Jesus was his only hope. And so when Barnabas heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout. And that word shout means to cry out. When we look at desperation, I don't know if you've ever been desperate in your life. You're in a desperate situation or circumstance or position, whatever it may be. That is the place where you can call on the name of Jesus. Jesus is waiting for you and I to become desperate for him. He really is. How desperate are we for him? Can we make it on our own? Can we put Jesus on the shelf for 12 hours out of the day and we pull him down for the other 12? No, Bartimaeus was desperate. And he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Notice he doesn't say, Jesus, heal me. I think that's an interesting statement. On the front end of this dialogue that he's crying out to Jesus, he doesn't say, Jesus, I'm blind and I want to see. No, he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Kyle read out of Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning, right? We need his mercy. We need his grace. And we see that in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where Bartimaeus was. He was calling on the name of the Lord. He realized his soul was empty. That was the priority. And so he yells out and pursues Christ. So we see in 48a, you have to ignore the negative. <laughs> How many negative voices? And, and you think about, well, you know, those negative voices were the, the people that were actually following Jesus. And you think about that. That's kind of weird, isn't it? They were telling him to shut up, to be quiet. And you would think because these folks were following Jesus, they would say, hey, come on over. You know, we'll get, to, we'll get you to where Jesus is. But no, they, they kind of put their hands over his eyes, push him down. You can't get up. We don't want to hear from you because we, what's important is we are experiencing the presence of Jesus. And that's a problem, friend, when we even come to church on a Sunday morning. We think, well, when I go to church, it's all about me, you know, getting in my chair. You know, don't, don't rub me the wrong way. It's all about me. No, it isn't about you. 
When you look at this crowd and how they, they were talking down to Bartimaeus and really telling him to be quiet, we as Live Church should be open to people coming in here who are crying out to Jesus for help. You know, we live in a broken world. And there are many times, even as regular attenders, man, you've, you've gone through a challenging week, man, and you're crying out to Jesus, I need help. And we, as the body, should be sensitive to that. Because if we get so self-focused, it's all about me, we miss the opportunity of being used by God's Spirit. So we need to look back and say, God, how do you want to use me today? When I go to Life Church, man, you know? When I go to work, when I go to school. Let God use you. Because Bartimaeus could have very easily thought, you know what, if these people are following Jesus and that's how they're treating me, is that an example of what, Je you know, doesn't Jesus care about me? Because these Christ followers are not modeling really the character of Christ. And that's where, friends, even in our world today, how we model Jesus, people are watching, you know? And if you're selfish and if you're trying to push people down to get your way, if you're critical and so on, negative, that perspective of Christianity is going to impact the people that are watching you. So we have to be careful. Is that how Jesus would live? If that's, is that how he would respond? And so we see even uh, Matthew 19, this... Uh, crowd of angry people, really, they're angry because Bartimaeus is impacting their little parade following after Jesus, and they're telling him to shut up and be quiet. Matthew 19, 13, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. So you see, it's not just the crowd, it's his own disciples here. They're telling the parents, he doesn't have time for the kids. What do you think you're doing? You're interrupting what's so important. But here's the cool thing. That word scold, the disciples scolded, that means they rebuked and reprimanded the parents <sighs> for, or, for bothering him. And Jesus said, hey, guys, chill. You know, just chill, man. You want to know what's important? Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And then he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Isn't that cool? That's the accurate picture of Jesus. And as we get into this story with Bartimaeus, we'll see the accurate picture of who Jesus is. He's not in a hurry. He's not self-motivated. He's looking for needs. He's concerned about those needs around him. And we see that there were obstacles for Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road. He was blind. He couldn't see. But he's taking the word of others that had spoken around him and to him about Jesus coming, and he would not let that opportunity pass. And second, the people around him. That was another obstacle. How could he get to where Jesus was when they were telling him they were pushing back at him? But he was desperate, and he wouldn't shut down. He would not quiet down. Psalm 34, 6 says it succinctly. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. 
The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. Isn't it good? It's a good reminder. The psalmist saying, man, in my desperation, which means Bartimaeus was desperate. And we look at um, Daniel Ritchie was desperate. And you might be desperate. Those watching online, you might be in a desperate situation right now. You can call on the name of the Lord. And he's saving from all my troubles. He rescues me from all my troubles when I call to him for help. Man, he's waiting for you to call to him. He loves it when you call to him. And so that's the good news. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus is desperate. And he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Number three, Jesus stops the call. Look at verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. I, I, <laughs> one minute earlier, they're all yelling at him to be quiet. <laughs> and Jesus, really, he has to have a, he stops and he says to the crowd, listen, guys, just be quiet. He doesn't tell them to shut up. He just says, just be quiet. Let that man come here. Bring him here. Tell him to come here. And you, and you think, isn't that amazing? You know, this crowd is all fired up. We're following Jesus. It is so, I get the gospel goosebumps by following Jesus. And here you got Bartimaeus on the sidelines screaming, Jesus, have mercy on me. And all of a sudden, the crown changes its disposition, you know? Jesus put clarity on it for them. He says, son of David. You know, this is the first time that term is used in the book of Mark. And um, how did he use that? Because Bartimaeus, we talked about, he thought about this for a while. It wasn't just on, on the spur of the moment, but he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was a descendant of King David. And so the fact that called that Bartimaeus called Jesus the son of David shows that he recognized Jesus as the Messiah. That's pretty cool. And that's why he would not be quiet. And so that drove him to that passionate persistence, man. Man, oh man. Jesus stops the call. That sense of urgency would not be put to the side. So, Look at the stop sign. Jesus stops the call. Jesus stops the parade. He stops the, the momentum of the crowd. And even though he's on his way to Jerusalem and he knows what's ahead of him, what does he do? He stops. Do you realize he stops for you? He stops for me when we call on his name. He said, Jesus stopped and said, tell him to come here. That means to get up, get up, get up. And even though Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and knows what's ahead of him, what does he do? He cares about that blind man, Bartimaeus. And he knows exactly what his need is. And so they called the blind man, cheer up, <laughs> after they've been yelling at him. Oh, this is kind of comical, I think. You know, they're yelling at him to shut up, and now they're telling him to cheer up. And say, what's the matter with this crowd, man? Cheer up. 
That word cheer up, by the way, means courageous. Be courageous. And how many of you know, man, to follow after Jesus, it takes courage today, doesn't it? Man, for you to follow the crowd, no backbone needed. You just jump in the river and let the current take you down with everybody else. But man, when you get in that current and you go against it, it, you need backbone. You need courage. And Jesus is saying, hey, I know, I know what you need and I know what you want. By cheering up, man, be courageous because following after me, you're going to need that courage. And that was a moment of decision. Jesus is calling and Bartimaeus had to make up his mind. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but it was a big decision for this man. Because of his routine, because of living his life the way he had done for year after year. Change was coming. It was about to change. The poet Francis Thompson, he lived back in the 1800s, wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And uh, you may be familiar with it, The Hound of Heaven. Thompson was a Christian back in the day, but he had health problems, he had financial problems, and he had addiction to opium. Back then, opium um, was a dangerous substance, but it was legal. But he had an addiction problem with it. And as he looked at his life, you know, the turmoil he was in and all the problems he was facing, he kept thinking that Jesus would look back at him with a face of disgust, like, come on, man. Thompson, what's the matter with you? You know, you need to do better than this. And that's the imagery that Thompson had of Jesus Christ, that because he kept messing up, that Jesus would sign off on him. But somehow in the deepest part of his soul, Thompson realized that in the sense of God's presence, God was still coming after him, still pursuing him. In the poem, Thompson wrote, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the wandering ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. Thompson realized the hound of heaven, the spirit of the living God, would not let go of pursuing his life. And ultimately, he surrendered, gave it up because the hound of heaven would not relent. Aren't you glad God's spirit never gives up on you? Aren't you glad he keeps pursuing you, conforming you more and more into the image of God? And so if somebody ever stops and asks you, hey, what's so special about Christianity? You know how you can respond? What sets it apart from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and anything else? Here it is. You can answer nowhere else do you find God in hot pursuit of people. He's the only one. The other religions, doesn't happen, man. But with Christianity, it's exclusive. The living God, the one who created you, is in hot pursuit of you. I'm so glad for that, man. I'm so glad for that. That's great news. Number four, come as you are. Come as you are. And there's a hymn called, Just As I Am. Just as I am. Mm, mm-hmm, just as I... There we are. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. When I was in high school, 
I uh, was part of a, a Youth for Christ uh, Christian club in my high school. Anyway, once a month, they would take all the high schools in the Chicago area and go down to Moody Church in downtown Chicago. And they had a big youth rally. And every, at the end of every rally, that's the song they would sing. If you want to put your faith in Christ just as I am, I come just as I am. So many people think you got to fix yourself up before you come to Christ. No, you come just as you are, without one plea, because it was the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Man, that's how your sins are forgiven. You can't clean yourself up. It's only because of Jesus. So we come as we are. So Bartimaeus, verse 50, threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Man, this is huge. To come to Jesus, man, we come to Jesus. He's calling. He's calling. The message puts it this way. Get up. He's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. (laughs) Bartimaeus was fired up. Why didn't Jesus come to where Bartimaeus was? This is a big question. Why? You think Jesus would? It's kind of like the lady walking behind Jesus and just reaching out and touching the hem of his robe. There's that pursuit. Because beggars in those days, when they would be by the side of the road, they had a large, heavy coat that they would lay over their legs and they would cry for money. They would beg for money. And people, when they would walk by, would take their coins and throw it in to that heavy coat. So that coat was not only to keep them warm at night, and they would use it kind of like as a sleeping bag to stay warm during the evening, but they also used it. That's where they collected the funds to survive for the next day. So what Jesus realizes is, and, and that was kind of tradition for the beggars of that day, that the heavy coat symbolized a security blanket because that's where they received everything they needed to live on. What Jesus was calling out to him for is, Bartimaeus, you got a security blanket. You've been, you've been using this blanket day after day, year after year. If you're going to come after me, you've got to put aside those things that have become so familiar with you. It's a barrier. It could be a barrier between you and God. That security blanket in Barnabas was a potential barrier, and that's where Barnabas had to think through this. Okay, am I going to keep this security blanket, what I'm familiar with? I like this security blanket. It's soft. It's got a lot of memories. Or will I fling it to the side and go to where Jesus is calling? Friends, that's where you and I are even today. We've got so many potential barriers that keep Jesus from doing what he wants to do in our lives that we were covered with it. And we become so used to it. It's a habit. We've always done it this way before. I'm addicted to this, man. I've been holding on to this. This is a stronghold in my life. It's a barrier that gets between you and Jesus. And Jesus is calling and he's saying, man, let that go. Get to where I am and I will make a difference in your life. 
And so we see, come as you are. Henry Blackaby put it this way, you can't go with God and stay where you are. And here we are. So many people try to live it both ways. I can keep doing what I want to do and God will understand. No, friend. Bartimaeus was willing to sell out. And we see Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He threw it away. Boom, left it behind. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. That's important that you and I pursue Jesus the same way. We don't allow things to get between he and us. No barriers, no walls, no resistance. We're all in for him. And so pursue Jesus, just like Bartimaeus. Come as you are. Number five, know your need. Number uh, Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Let me ask, did Jesus not know what Bartimaeus wanted? Huh? What do you think? He knew. He knew. The woman with the issue of blood, he knew who touched him. He just wanted her to come out in front. Jesus knew what Bartimaeus needed and wanted, and he wanted Bartimaeus to communicate that. So he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked, and he said, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Bartimaeus knew he was blind, and like so many who are in spiritual darkness today, um, he knew what his problem was, man. He was blind, and he needed a savior. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And friends, that's where you and I, we have a responsibility to pray for those folks, right? That God would take that blinders off their eyes to the, so that they would be able to see their need for Jesus. Bartimaeus was able to see his need for Jesus even though he was blind. To know your need. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And this morning, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you know your need? Do you know where you're at in your walk with Christ? It doesn't matter if you have a thriving relationship with Jesus, man, or you don't even know him at all. You need to communicate to him, this is what I need, Lord. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to make a difference in my life. I've got this habit. I've got this life-controlling habit, Lord, that's been haunting me. I'm giving it to you. I need help in this relationship, Lord. This person really ticks me off all the time. My blood pressure spikes every time I see their face, God. You need to help me. You need to help me, God. Right? Listen, we're, nobody in this room are watching. You've got it all together, man. We need Jesus. We need him. Let him expose those areas in our lives where here it is, Lord. I'm coming as I am. I'm giving it to you. I'm laying it down. I don't want to carry this anymore. And Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity we've had to study your word. 
And Lord, as we look at Bartimaeus, this blind man who recognized he could see more clearly than people who had their eyesight on his spiritual need for you. And God, we thank you that you're making a difference in the world today, man. You are moving. You are active. And God, today we humble ourselves before you as we see our need for you, Lord. We give you permission to live in and through us one day at a time. And Lord, we pray for those folks that maybe never put their faith in you. And if that's you this morning or you watching online, you can say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I am. And sin will keep me away from a holy God. But you provided a way, Lord, by allowing Jesus, your son, to go to the cross to pay for my sin debt. I recognize that. And so I'm putting my trust in Jesus this morning. I'm coming just as I am. I'm surrendering to you. So Lord, thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for making a way for me to have a relationship with you and your Father. Today I'm putting all my trust in you, Lord. So thank you, thank you for forgiving me, for becoming my spiritual leader. In Jesus' name, amen.